Every day, I am getting one step closer to having another healthy baby, and Caraway Home is helping me do that. Their ceramic, naturally slick surface cookware allows you to cook with minimal butter. Uh, they're very easy to clean, just a little warm water, you wipe it down. And the best part is, is that Caraway products are made without any toxic materials like BFASs, BTFEs, and a bunch of other things like I can't even pronounce. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, right now, visit Caraway wayhome.com slash TSFS to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive to my Sarah Fraser Show listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash TSFS or use code TSFS at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. It's time for you to see what all the fuss is about, read about their five-star reviews and why so many TSFS fans buy Caraway Home. Order now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. All right, special guests on the Sarah Fraser show today. Boston Hernia, guys, brand new sponsor to the show. Why I wanted to work with these guys is 25% of men will have a hernia in their lifetime and 10% of women. Schman has had one. And I wish that I had known Dr. Reinhorn and Dr. Fullington who are on the podcast today. It is so important. I had no idea that hernia surgery is one of the leading surgery that causes long-term chronic pain because oftentimes it's done by a general surgeon and not a specialist. <gasps> uh, don't even... Laura, you know how I... I don't know. I'm going to come up with like Angie's list for doctors. I know it already exists. It's called ZocDoc. But anyhow, uh, I think it's so important when you are doing a surgery, um, IVF, when you're making a big change in your life, in your body, doing research, having a good recommendation is just priceless. So Boston Hernia, I was introduced to these two amazing doctors. They are in the top 10 of all surgeons in the country that specialize in four different type of hernia surgeries obviously located in Boston, but they see patients nationwide. They're going to tell you today, even if you don't live in the area or you can't drive there to get the surgery or bring your spouse, how you can still connect with them and then find a great surgeon in your area. Um, after this call, go and make it, after this call, yeah, I'm calling you. After this podcast, go to their website, bostonhernia.com TSFS. That's where you can find out more information. You can make an appointment. You can check and see if they take your insurance. You absolutely need to to call them um, and their number is 617-466-3373. So here they are, top doctors, Dr. Reinhorn and Dr. Fullington. Dr. Reinhorn and Dr. Fullington from Boston Hernia are here to talk to us about hernias, which I had no idea there was so much going on in the hernia world. 
<laughs> we're, we're, we're excited to talk to you about it. I had no idea. So, um, well, obviously, you know, we are working together on the podcast. And the big thing is you two are so amazing and specialized and unique at what you do at Boston Hernia. Um, but I really wanted to bring you on because not only are you unique, but the approach that you're doing is really revolutionary. People need to know about it. Come and see you. And Honestly, let's start with how many people get hernias? Because I didn't realize the statistic was so high for men and women. So, you know, we're specializing in inguinal hernia, which is a hernia in the growing region. And one in four men will develop an inguinal hernia in their lifetime. One in about 30 women will get an inguinal hernia in their lifetime. So you're talking out of the U.S. population, there's 50 million people who are going to get a hernia. So there's a lot of people. In fact, a million people a year have inguinal hernia surgery just in the U.S. and internationally, it's over 20 million people. Wow. So it's probably the most common elective surgical procedure, certainly in the field of general surgery. My husband has had one, so I'm certainly aware of, um, you know, how uncomfortable they are for men. And I, I, I don't want to find out as a woman to have one, but <laughs> you know, but anyway, <laughs> if I have to, I'm coming to see you too. Um, so talk to us about hernia surgery. Like, you know, the, one of the amazing things that you guys do is you're known for these low downtime hernia procedures, um, not using heavy narcotics to recover, but... Tell me about when somebody finds out that they have a hernia and they call you, I mean, what does it usually look like as far as like the layout of surgery, what they need to do? Yeah. So I think one of the important things is a lot of times we see patients who have had a diagnosis of a hernia somewhere else who come to see us. And when we examine them, we don't find a hernia. So the first thing for anybody considering going down this route is to really uh, determine how accurate that diagnosis is. So a hernia is a hole in the strength layer of your abdominal wall and something bulges from the inside to the outside. So most people who have a hernia have a bulge and it's those people who don't notice the bulge, but mostly have pain who really need to reassess, maybe get a second opinion. Um, the, the best diagnosis tool for hernia is a physical exam by somebody who does it all day, every day. Um, so that's one kind of piece of this. Um, when you think you have a hernia, you want to make sure you end up in a place where you're with people who know what they're doing and who are really experienced in this area. Um, so let's say that diagnosis is accurate and you go and see somebody. Um, the best approach is not going to be the same for every single person. And so it's really ideal to go to somebody who can offer several different approaches and tailor that depending on your own medical and surgical history. Um, one of the things that we do that that's really special, only 10 surgeons in this country do it, is kind of stealing the best parts of the most commonly performed surgeries and mashing them together and ending up with a better result. So what we do for most patients, but again, not everybody, is make a small incision in the groin. It's the least invasive approach to doing this type of hernia repair and actually putting the mesh on the inside of the hernia hole. So patching a hole from the inside. So every time you cough and strain, it makes sense that mesh is being reinforced where you want it. Um, and it's away from things like nerves that are really well exposed and can be um, 
sort of injured that and and result in bad outcomes. Um, so that's this this really kind of revolutionary technique that you were talking about yeah. that patients are ending up with quicker recovery, better quality of life recovery, less pain. And 94% of our patients are not taking opioids at all, which is huge. Uh, that's like enormous. I can't even believe that. So you're telling me post-surgery, because that's what my husband always said. It was so painful. The recovery was weeks. I mean, he really, he couldn't even, I mean, it was almost like, you know, basically having a C-section. It was weeks and weeks of not being able to lift anything, all that. But he was on pretty heavy pain meds. So how does this work with you guys? You're telling me most of your patients, are they just on Tylenol and ibuprofen after? Yeah. Yeah. And wow. it's not because we're holding it back from them, right? We're not torturing them and saying like, no, you can't have it because our stats need to show this. It's because they actually don't need it. We give them really clear guidelines. Like if you can't sleep or you can't get up and move around, call us and we'll give you a pain medication, a stronger pain medication. So really like they do great. And hearing that about your husband, like we see patients like that all the time who have had oh. the other side fixed with a different approach. And then they have surgery with us with this, you know, the newer method where we're placing the mesh on the inside through the small incision in the groin. And the comparison is striking, right? Like they say this was unbelievably different. So we know that it that it is the way of the future. It is a better repair. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to teach more surgeons because patients are benefiting from it. But, you know, for right now, we're it. There's a couple reasons people do better. One is the technique, right? And mm. so you, by avoiding general anesthesia, the brain isn't getting revved up. And so it's not perceiving surgery as bad of a stimuli that has been shown in multiple different medical studies. Um, I've been doing this particular approach for over 20 years. I used to do all my surgery laparoscopically, which is still meshed behind the abdominal wall but it required general anesthesia. And when I learned this newer approach, I saw for myself that patients were recovering faster. Um, I was still prescribing opioids at that time. It wasn't until about 10 years later when the opioid epidemic became more prevalent and more well-known that I realized that while I was prescribing the opioids, my patients weren't really taking it. So six, seven years ago, we studied our patients' opioid usage and we actually, our practice was one of the first practices to publish um, about patient reported opioid use after surgery. And I was over prescribing by 300%. I was prescribing 12 tablets, but where my patients were only taking four on average. Wow. And so we use that data to start prescribing less. And then patients said, why don't I even need this? And so we no longer routinely prescribe. Um, and both of us participate in our national hernia registry where we participate in an opioid reduction task force. And we're teaching other surgeons that even other types of hernia surgery, people don't need to prescribe as many opioids so that we're actually having an impact on the opioid epidemic here. That's but what we're doing, amazing. And it's, educate, and it's a lot of it is education and managing patient expectations. So we tell patients, you're going to have some discomfort after surgery. It is not pain-free. It's going to be well-managed by Tylenol and ibuprofen. If you are miserable, we'll give you a prescription. Less than one in 20 patients asks us for a prescription. 
All right. This is, you know, most of my audience is women, right? They're listening to this. They're partners, they're husbands. I do have some terrific men that listen too. Um, you know, they, I'm listening. I'm listening. <laughs> right. Dr. Reinhorn listens. Okay. Um, <laughs> but what is the, this is what I love about the two of you. You're such disruptors in your industry. I feel the same about myself. But for the average person, because when my husband got this, I didn't even know there was anyone as specialized as the two of you. What is, for most people listening to this, who's they know their husband has a hernia, what is usually the protocol? You you go to your general doctor. Like Tell, tell us like where things are are right now and why, you know, really people need to call you. But what does it go? How does it go now? Yeah. So most people performing inguinal hernia surgery in this country are general surgeons. So they are people that are doing a variety of other surgery in addition to hernia surgery. And in fairness, both of us were general surgeons doing all of those things. That's where we started. So you train as a general surgeon and then we went on to specialize. Um, So what that means for somebody having a hernia repair is that the person that they're going to probably does on average about 50 hernias a year. I call him the Nozempic Ben-On-Ozempic doctor. I'm talking about Dr. Applin and his wife who founded My Optimal Body. I'm so happy about this. These are the first mindful eating-based doctors I have ever partnered with. They see patients nationwide, and they are seeing more patients who have been on Ozempic, and Ozempic has failed for them. What makes My Optimal Body so unique, and why am I endorsing them? It's because Dr. Applin actually looks at food additives, your, your addiction to food, your mental health. They do a whole look at you, including your gut health. Many of Dr. Applin's patients are working out, restricting their diets, and still gaining weight. Why is that? Because something's going on in your body and with your mind. Visit MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment. Be sure to tell them the Sarah Fraser Show sent you so you can qualify for a free personalized assessment, plus a bonus free 30-day supply of their gut repair product when you sign up for a customized plan. Again, that's MyOptimalBody.com to request an appointment. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, compared to what we do, we do about 500 hernias each a year. Wow. So, So much of how a person does with any kind of surgery is reliant on the surgeon's experience and the surgeon, unfortunately, just straight numbers, how many cases they do in a short period of time, because the more cases you do, the better your outcomes are. That's studied in all different kinds of surgeries, and it's it's born true every single time. So going to somebody who does a lot of it is important with this particular operation, there are real risks with, with not going to somebody who is as experienced. And 
Mickey, sorry, Dr. Reinhorn started this, <laughs> started this um, company because of the problems that are common in hernia surgery. So he mentioned about a million inguinal hernia repairs done a year. And so many patients are injured by inguinal hernia repairs. The risk is five to 15% of developing chronic pain after a hernia repair. That is pain that goes on for at least a year after surgery. There is another subset of that, three to 6% of patients who have chronic debilitating pain that significantly affects their life for longer than that. Those numbers are insane when we're talking about a surgery that's done a million times a year. So that's like 30,000 patients a year who are chronic, who are chronically disabled because of this. And most people going to have a hernia repair are going to get back to their quality of life. So it's really like a, a tragic outcome. Um, so a lot of the things we think about all day, every day is how to minimize that risk. And there is significant advantage to going to somebody who thinks about this all day long, who knows the anatomy and has as much experience with the anatomy as we do, that we see where these pitfalls can come into play. So I'll add to that. And I think this is where I'm super passionate about this and, and it'll come out. And I studied engineering before I went to medical school. And when I went into surgery, I loved it because it was a little bit like tissue engineering. You're, you're, oh. you're taking people apart. You're putting them back together. It was instant gratification. We had quick impact. <laughs> I, I loved it immediately. So, uh, surgeons always do. They love, like, they love to, that's, you know, construct. Yes. Shocking. Yeah, shocking. Um, but I quickly recognized that there was a problem with hernia surgery, both in, I would see complications. I would see people who complained about mesh. And uh, I learned pretty quickly that it's not the mesh, it's the technique used. And so I'll give you my own example. I've looked back at my own operative notes from uh, eight to 10 years after I finished my surgical training. And I did not correctly name all the nerves in the inguinal canal properly because no one ever taught them to me. So I went and learned them. And over 15 years of practice after my training, I learned the inguinal canal anatomy, the inguinal anatomy. And one of the issues in this country is there's no fellowship or extra training in inguinal hernia. Why? Because it's considered an easy case for a general surgeon and intern in their first year after medical school, supposedly learns everything they need to. And then after that, they don't see it again. And then they go pra into practice and they start doing the surgery. And you know what? That's exactly what I did. And I did an okay job. But when I finished my training, I went and learned every type of procedure that was new that I could learn. And the newer approach that I learned was one of those. And it really forced me to learn a three-dimensional anatomy. And so over 22 years of doing this, I've essentially went through a fellowship training of inguinal hernia, something that doesn't exist. We now, both Dr. Fullington and I, teach it to surgeons across the country who both have flown up to Boston to come learn from us. And they teach surgical fellows, surgeons who are focused on hernia surgery. And that's the most gratifying part of our job is that we're able to train the trainers um, on how to do hernia surgery and hernia anatomy in a way that we've never learned it on our own. And so this chronic pain issue 
in my opinion, and in a lot of surgeons' opinion, has very little to do with mesh, has almost everything to do with the way the surgery is performed. And so we've got an opportunity in this country, and we set up our practice as a way to teach others to have impact on individual patients, but also to spread the knowledge so that other surgeons are not going to injure patients. Can you both talk more about that? The mesh, the laparoscopic, and then you all do actual hands-on surgery, right? When you're doing the repair. What's the difference? You do hear the word mesh, I, I guess because we've, you've seen like class action lawsuits on the on TV for commercials. And I always think, oh, mesh, so scary. Like, my mom had a hysterectomy or, or needed, I think something was happening. So they were going to insert mesh and it's like, oh, don't do mesh. Okay. Talk to us about what are all those things? What are the differences? And is mesh as scary as I think a lot of people like myself think it is? Yeah. So I think first in just talking about mesh, so mesh is this thin woven plastic and we, when we put it in, it's meant to be a scaffold for your body to build a scar onto, and that becomes a new strength layer. So if you think about the abdominal wall as multiple layers and you have a hole in the strongest one, you want to patch that hole kind of like drywall, right? Like sure. you're patching. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> mesh is basically just the scaffold that lets your body do that. Mesh has been used in other ways, right? Like, like you mentioned, gynecologic procedures in, in other locations in the abdomen for other problems. And there have been issues with things like erosion into structures and badness. But what we're talking about is mesh going within layers of the abdominal wall, away from things like organs, for example. So the different repairs, there, there are several different repairs to this. The one that a lot of the class action lawsuits that you've met, that you've mentioned, um, involve is the mesh that goes over the top of the hernia hole. We mentioned before mesh going on the inside in a couple different approaches, but when you place mesh over the top of the hernia, there are three nerves that live there. And those nerves can get entrapped in stitches or irritated by the mesh and that can result in chronic pain. Ah. So that's part of this issue that we're talking about. When it comes to inguinal hernia surgery, that's kind of the main problem that we're talking about. Um, and, and what Dr. Reinhardt mentioned before is really that comes down to the surgeon identifying those nerves, determining if they're in the, at risk in the position that they're in and managing them appropriately. And that risk of chronic pain can go down drastically. But one of the things that we've seen that has reduced that risk of chronic pain is placing the mesh on the inside of the hole away from the, where those nerves are. So that is the laparoscopic approach and the, and the open approach that we we're talking about. We'll call it the open preperitoneal approach to give it a name, right? Okay. Thank you. Good. I like that. Okay. <laughs> the laparoscopic approach involves incisions higher up on your belly, inflating your belly with a gas that requires general anesthesia because your muscles have to be relaxed. You can't be able to resist that. And so that involves things like being on a ventilator during surgery and a lot more medications. Um, oftentimes with that type of approach, you go all the way inside your belly and then go down to the area where the operation is happening, where the hernia is, and go back out through layers to get to the appropriate one to place the mesh on the inside. So a lot of times when people hear laparoscopic, they think, I want that, right? Yeah. That's less invasive. That's the one I want. Right. But when it comes to a problem within layers of your abdominal wall, it's not the quickest, easiest way to get there. It's actually a lot more involved and more invasive. 
So it's not always the best approach. And that's kind of where we where we slip in with this open prepared needle. So we place the mesh in the same exact position as the laparoscopic way, but we don't make the incisions elsewhere. We make a small one in the groin and we go straight to where we need to be, not ever going into the belly. And we don't use general anesthesia. That's so, amazing. Okay, wait. So, what kind of anesthesia do we get? <laughs> okay, so we don't, we don't. What? All right, so but we're numb. So we're we, we're well, out, you, right? Well, you're out. <laughs> okay, so, you, so, so patients are sedated. Okay, so patients are sedated. Okay, guys. Anyone that's over fifty has probably had a colonoscopy with propofol. Um, you know, I, and a lot of people and, under fifty. And, uh, under fifty. <laughs> I've had, I've had two. Uh, yes, and propofol I, I, works I, very I've well. I've had mine. Yep. If you haven't had a colonoscopy, get your colonoscopy. So it easy. Is, be life saving. Um, I'll end with the public service announcement there. <laughs> but uh, propofol is a wonderful medication that allows you to be sedated, and it's a little bit like a light switch. The minute it goes into your system, lights are out. The minute it comes out of your system, you wake up pretty quickly. So you're you're unconscious, um, but you're and you don't feel pain, but you don't have the after effects of general anesthesia. When and you're we, breathing on your and own. And you're breathing on your yeah. own. Some people on a lighter dose are actually even talking. It, I find that distracting in surgery. So I ask the anesthesiologist <laughs> to turn it up a little bit. I talk enough as it is. Yeah. I don't need to be speaking to you while you're doing my hernia. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> it forces us to use local anesthesia. So when it be by forcing us to use local anesthesia before every layer that we cut, it prevents the brain from getting a signal that we're cutting. And so patients go home and sometimes don't feel anything for four to six hours after the surgery. And at that point, they've got Tylenol in their system, they've got ibuprofen in their system, and it's tolerable. Um, the, the open approach that we do is only 10 surgeons in the U.S. do it because it's technically hard to do. You have to be an expert in laparoscopic surgery. And the reason is the anatomy is very different from when you're looking at it from the inside of the layers of the abdominal wall as opposed to the outside. And about 10 years ago, the, the robotics industry said, let's, let's take the surgeons that look at from the outside, let's bring them to the inside. And, and their thesis was most general surgeons at that time, 80% were doing old fashioned open hernia surgery, putting mesh on the outside, you know, 10 to 15% chronic pain rates, 3% disability rates. So that's 30,000 a year getting injured. Let's try to improve that. And so they were able to take about 20% of surgeons out of the, the 80 left and convert them to doing a posterior approach, to doing a robotic laparoscopic approach. And I waited about seven or eight years before learning how to do it because it, it didn't seem like it did anything different than when I had done laparoscopically, but I got caught in the hype. I flew out to California. I attended three days of lectures, tested it out. They flew out my physician assistant so she could assist. And the shocking part was my physician assistant who had known this open approach we do, knew the anatomy for robotic surgery and started teaching some of the other surgeons the anatomy because they'd never seen it before. And it, it, I did the robotic repair on enough patients to see that it was exact same thing I had done before laparoscopically, wow. just using a fancy tool. And so I went back to the open posterior, the open preparatineal approach, 
because it didn't force patients to have a general anesthetic they didn't need. But I still believe the 60% of Americans in this country who still have the old fashioned open mesh approach, we can teach them. And I recently was invited to write a book chapter about comparing our two approaches and why maybe we should be teaching those 60% of surgeons how to do it our way or a laparoscopic way. Either way, as long as they're getting the mesh away from the nerves, we're going to save a lot of patients from chronic pain. And that's that's our long-term educational mission is how do we get the word out for surgeons. So we're talking to you about how we can benefit yes. patients, but we're yes. really motivated about impacting surgeons. We have a few surgeons that listen to this. I'm sure. I, I mean, you, Dr. Rhino. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and you, you know, surgeons who need to relax and watch reality TV. They like the recaps. All right. Well, Dr. Reinhorn, you were just talking about robotics. Uh, tell us more about that because that is the rage in ev- not just in hernia surgery, but every kind of surgery now. It's like, and you know, when you do hear it, you think, oh, very modern age. Oh, I want the robotics. But I don't even really know what that means. You know what I mean? I know it's like a robot sort of assisting, but tell me where this rage, uh, that all this, you know, kind of hype around robotics is and where's the truth? So the, the robotics platform, as I understand it, what the one I learned on is a, what we call an advanced laparoscopic platform. So laparoscopic surgery is you make small holes about a quarter inch to half an inch and put very long instruments Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely through a cavity, through the abdomen, for example, in order to do surgery. Um, you use a camera in addition to. The robotics um, is exactly the same thing, but instead of your hands manipulating the long instrument, you now have got a mechanical arm that has six degrees of freedom. And what that is, and that's inside the abdomen. And so what that allows people to do is in very small, tight, narrow spaces where the human hand can't articulate a very long instrument, the the robotic tool allows you to do complex surgery in a very small space. So um, in prostate surgery, for example, uh, using a robot has a little bit of benefit over laparoscopic surgery in cancer outcomes. And so largely uh, prostate surgery has migrated to either laparoscopic or robotic. There's some surgeons who are so good laparoscopically, they don't need this robot to do it. The robot is actually not a robot. There's no artificial intelligence. It's just a really fancy tool um, that costs somewhere between two, two and a half million dollars 
prices are coming down, but there's costs of half a million dollars of maintenance. So it allows you to do complicated surgery in unique areas. Um, in hernia, in the ventral hernias, hernias that are complex abdominal wall hernias, there is some benefit because you're able to suture almost upside down in the front of the abdomen. Whereas in the groin hernia, in the area of our expertise, um, there hasn't been any benefit shown um, to robotics over laparoscopic. The mm -hmm. big advantage is to get the mesh away from the outside of the abdominal wall. So most general surgeons, and still to this day, put mesh on top of the, the hernia hole and on top of a whole bunch of nerves. Getting the mesh away from that, getting it underneath the abdominal wall is absolutely better. And that can be accomplished either laparoscopically, laparoscopically with the aid of a robot, or open preperitoneal the way Dr. Fullington and I do that. And so um, in our practice, because we're able to do a repair without general anesthesia and without a two and a half million dollar tool, it, it allows patients to both recover faster because there's less opioids, there's less anesthesia, there's less pain, but it's a lot more cost effective too. Yeah. So just to tag team on that, like laparoscopic and robotic are the same, right? There's a surgeon contro okay. controlling instruments. It's just with laparoscopic, that surgeon has a little bit limited range of motion with those instruments. Most surgeries can be accomplished that way if appropriate. And the surgeon's standing right at the patient as opposed to the robot still manipulating those instruments, but you're doing it almost through these little like joysticks on the side of the patient instead. So there's no like little robot marching around doing yeah. your surgery. <laughs> Um, but it, it, like what you said about the robotics, like rage, it, it's really, and this is a little bit, um, scandalous to say, but a lot of it is marketing, right? Like it's just marketing. It's a really expensive tool. It's great in certain settings, but it also is probably used in a lot of settings where it's unnecessary. Um, and, and really when it comes down to like the quality of repair, Again, you just got to find somebody who you trust. Yes. You what's going to be the right thing for you and whether or not a robot, a robotic surgery makes sense for you. And then, it, you know, in our case is willing to send you to the right people if that's the case. So the robot is fun <laughs> to use. And I think that's the clever marketing <laughs> that's for the surgeons. Right. They're marketing a really cool technology that's fun to use. It's a little bit like a joystick of a video game or a PlayStation. And so if you grew up with a Sony PlayStation, I'm with you, Dr. Falling, you love now. using the robot. I didn't. I grew up on Atari. Yeah, yeah. Uh, way back when. Not to, not to stereotype before. anything, but men, you know, men do seem to love video games. They, yes. Yeah. Uh, women, some women too, but... I like video games, but maybe that's not the reason why I should choose a certain surgery for something. Correct. All, Good point. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I'm biased a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm obsessed. BostonHernia.com is the website. You say the best way to make an appointment is to call the phone number that's there, which I'm going to give right now, which is 617-466-3373. You're located in Boston. You see patients, of course, all around Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, New England, but you do see patients nationwide, correct? So a lot of people listening to this are hearing this in LA. They, they know their husband has a hernia or they know their partner has been suffering from pain from a surgery a year ago. So do you guys accept patients all over? What if I live in Oklahoma? Can I do a Zoom call with you? Tell me, tell us about how patients can come and see you. So 
new if if patients can drive to see us and a lot of people will drive five to seven hours to see us on a day come make an appointment make an appointment they make a day of it in boston um that's sort of the best because as we told you the patients are diagnosed with hernia sometimes and don't have a hernia they have an abdominal strain um, they may have something else going on. And so we actually need to put our hands on everyone before we operate on them to know that we're doing the right operation. There's also some nuances about maybe somebody has a blood thinner or there's a scar in a particular area that makes them a better candidate for one operation or another. And there's no substitute to the, the adage of phys- history and physical, the physical exam by a surgeon. For patients who are out of state and want to minimize travel uh we offer sort of we call it a concierge service because we're not practicing medicine across state lines we we're not licensed in all 50 states okay what we do is we'll talk to someone like we're a friend their friend so in order to do that they send us their medical record they, they pay a concierge fee for us to spend our time to review it and talk to them as a friend to give an opinion this is what we would recommend. So both Dr. Fullington and I participate in a, in a service like that that's called Second MD. It's part of Accolade, where companies uh, are spending a lot of money for the nurses to gather the, the medical record information. Both of us participate in this. We review the record, and then we spend 20 minutes talking to the patients and saying, we've reviewed your medical record, we agree with the plan, or here are some alternatives. So um, if if some of your listeners have access to Second MD through their work, and it's it's a benefit that's more commonly held on larger companies, easy way to reach us, and and it, it wouldn't cost them a dime. It's on the company. I love um, it. I love it. It's so important. It's, it's a, super it's important. So important. That's the thing. I mean, I know my DC to Maine listeners will be in to see you in person, but I mean, I, you know, I want the woman that's listening to this in Texas to call you too, because the thing is, is I, as a patient would never know to ask about where the mesh is going to be placed for my husband's. I never would know that. It's like, this is why I love working with my fibroid doctor, you know, lots of OBGYNs, even if you love your OB or you love your general doctor say, oh, well, you're going to have to get a hysterectomy. And it's like, no, that's not always like you know you should go see a fibroid expert who can do uterine fibroid embolization and not you don't have to do this and it's the same with you guys it's like oh my god I don't want any you know don't have any of these men do the surgery or women till they see you in person because it's worth it's just worth that extra step and it's it's you know as you guys know in every industry now I think what I love about my show and and working with people like you is it's it's you don't know who to believe there's so many voices now it's like I love having someone like yourselves because I want people to go, this is a trusted voice call, even if you don't live near them. And maybe it turns out their husband from Oklahoma needs to go and see you for a long weekend. And it's worth his complete recovery in a in a healthy way. You, you talk a lot about his, and I totally agree with you. you Tell you me about her, yeah. Point. You bring a good point. About 10% of our patients are women that have inguinal hernias and in women the the literature the general recommendations is to have a laparoscopic or a posterior mesh repair which which works however there's a small subset of women uh, because there's a lot of nerves in the pelvis that will feel that mesh and so you know there, there have been issues with mesh 
you know, vaginal slings, for example, there's moving parts in there and it can erode. It's less likely to happen with hernia surgery, but because I've been in practice for long enough and I've operated on close to a thousand women with hernia, I've observed that women will feel the mesh a little bit longer than men. So for that reason, for thinner women, we'll offer a non-mesh repair option. We will do a suture only repair. I flew up to Toronto, Canada to learn the Canadian method. It's called shoulder ice repair. Uh, Dr. Fullington learned it for me. We both now teach it to surgeons across the world. And it involves taking the body's natural tissues, suturing them together in four layers. So it's a really sturdy option. And there's going to be a subset of patients that we either recommend that to or come to us asking for that repair. We are going to guide them and tell them, is a no mesh repair the best option for them? We might say the mesh is a better option. There's going to be times where someone comes to us for a mesh repair and we may say, you know what, you're on blood thinners, you've had a stroke before, you're, we don't want to take the risk of you having another stroke. We're just going to do a no mesh repair option for you. Um, so, so women do get hernias. They get them very frequently. They're more likely to have complications after hernia surgery. They're more likely to have pain. And it's even more important for women to have a hernia specialist. Oh my God. And okay. Well, see, Dr. Reinhorn, you know, my audience better than I do. It's all the ladies. So ladies, even more important, you need to call no matter what state you're in. Um, Talk to me really quick, and then I, I know we've got to go. What women get them? Why pregnancy or lifting something or just genetics? Tell, how do women develop hernias? Yeah, so we're we're all a little bit weak in certain spots, right? Yeah. And so belly button hernias are really common. One of the things that makes that worse is pregnancy. Similarly, our pelvises kind of stretch a little bit during pregnancy, and because of that, those points of weakness can turn into holes that present themselves as something bulging through them and we diagnose a hernia. So it's just human nature, right? Like we're, we just have a couple spots where, where these things tend to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and no, wait, okay. This is like a really crazy question, but is, is it a hernia when like you're pregnant and your belly button is like popping out? That's a hernia, right? Yeah. So the, the huh. cool thing is though, that a lot of women, when their belly shrinks back down, those holes close up. So yes, it is a, a an umbilical hernia, belly button hernia. In fact, a lot of patients, a lot of patients that when they see us, when we say, oh yeah, that's a hernia. Like when you see an Audi on the beach, that's a hernia. They don't realize that an Audi is a hernia. It is. Um, no, I, so, I never knew this. I always thought when I was pregnant, I was like, why is my belly button not popping out? Like I want it to pop out. And then my open <laughs> was like, no, like you don't. I'm like, you how, do I, how do I not <laughs> know these things? <laughs> how do I not know these things about that? She's like, you don't. You're that's a hernia. I'm like, oh really? I thought it was supposed to pop all the way out. No. Anyway. No. Not necessarily. It does happen a lot. And for some women, it just closes right up. That's like the only occasion really in an adult where a hernia goes away on its own. That's a really important point, right? Like if you have a hernia, you can't fix it yourself. You can't like work out and strengthen the muscles behind it and get it to close. It's just there. It's a hole in the strength layer, which is different than the muscle with the one exception of when you're pregnant because of this like acute shocking event that your abdomen stretches out so much and then 
goes down so aggressively. Okay. I could talk to you two forever. I'm obsessed with your business plan, your doctor plan. I love the whole thing. I love introducing my audience to amazing people who are so passionate about their work and changing people's health. It's so important. BostonHernia.com is your website. Everybody needs to call 617-446-3373. On average, your patients are going to pay somewhere out of pocket between $600 and $1,000. You accept insurance. You work with people with big deductibles. If you don't have insurance, you can pay for this procedure out of pocket. Even better, you can get it, and that includes everything the surgery, the whole thing, and your average cost is somewhere around 6000 if you're paying and you have no insurance coverage, correct? Yeah, the, we we tailor that depending on the type of hernia, whether it's a first-time hernia, if it's a redo hernia, but it's somewhere between six and 7000 for someone who has absolutely no insurance. Uh, and the ones that do have insurance, deductibles, co-pays, out-of-pocket maximum, it does average to about between 500 and 1,000 per patient of what they typically owe, and it, it may change during the time of year. The most anyone is ever going to owe for our practice, for the consultation, for the specialized surgery, for a second surgeon or a, or a surgical PA that's assistant in surgery is a couple thousand bucks at most. Um, oh my God, sign to, me up for 800 to $1,000 to ensure you're not going to have chronic pain. And of course, you know, look, every patient is different. Every body is different. But I mean, your track record of amazing success, I mean, to not be on heavy narcotics, to be potentially even doing some light work a couple days later. I mean, to me, it's like, hello, when do I write you a check for $800? I mean, this is like, I'm in. <laughs> this is good. Love it. Hopefully you don't get a hernia anytime I, soon. I hope. I will be back to you. My husband thought he had a hernia back. Uh, his hernia had returned, but he actually had shingles. That's a whole other uh, medical thing. <laughs> I exp- I exp- all of our medical things I put on the show. Anyway, um, okay. BostonHernia.com. Such a pleasure. Dr. Reinhardt, Dr. Fullington, we will see you guys very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Nice Thanks. talking with you. Thank you for the opportunity. We loved it. <laughs>